When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Monday, December 13th, 2021. I'm Maggie Lake and here with me today is Dave Floyd of Aspen Trading Group. Hey, Dave, great to see you. Hey, Maggie, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, For Monday, as well as anybody anybody could be on a Monday, especially a Monday that looks like this, right? It sort of seems like we've got that risk-off attitude coming back into play at the start of the week. You All the U.S. Uh, stock indices in the red with tech leading the way down, the NASDAQ, I think at last check off about three quarters of a percent. They actually came off their lows, but um, you know, still ending down. Money moving into bonds, a 10-year anchored at around 142%, and the U.S. dollar pretty steady, if not higher, with the Fed meeting this week. Um, there, there seems to be some kind of fear creeping back into the market here today. Nothing, nothing out of you know, nothing too too severe, but some fear creeping back into the markets. What did you make of the action today? Well, I think uh, you know, based on with the Fed meeting coming up this week, I think maybe people are really starting to think seriously about what they're going to do about inflation. Um, I, you know, I always make it a point not to really get too much into the. The macros and trying to draw conclusions. I tend to be a levels-based trader or a technical trader, but I think the reality is with the with the inflation data that we saw last Friday and Powell's comments about a week or so ago saying they want to drop the word transitory. um, You know, inflation is probably going to become a a bigger issue here. Not that it isn't already, but you know, if the Fed really starts to hone in on it and they don't get sidelined politically. Um, that does bring a big wrinkle to the marketplace. I mean, the price of money is what drives everything. And if the price of money starts to move higher, um, that's going to be problematic. Now, we didn't see that today. We saw, you know, as you noted, 10-year rates are about 142. Um, but boy, if that begins to change, then, you know, I think we've got some issues. Uh, but, the, but the market was weak, ended up closing pretty much on the lows on the S&P. Oh, it did uh, go so- back down, Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it, right. And that kind of leg down, like really in the last half hour. So that probably because because it looked like it was trying to stabilize a little bit off those lows. So probably tells you everything you need to know. And, you know, not only do we have the Fed and we're going to dive into that in a little more detail. We have the U.S. Fed, the Bank of England, European Central Bank, Bank of Japan, Swiss yep. and Norwegian central banks all meeting this week. I mean, you've got a ton of central banks weighing in. So we have the possibilities for some divergence, too, which I know really shows up in the currency markets, um, which you watch closely. You know, what are you what are you looking at? The dollar seems pretty resilient here heading into this. What, what are you seeing happening on that front? You know, it's been, it's been moving sideways for about a week or so. But, you know, overall, dollar's been moving up. And as you said, it's been very resilient. You know, for me, I'm looking at a pretty key level here, about you know 98.40, give or take. That's been a pretty sticky level. We haven't been able to kind of elevate above that. Conversely, on the downside, we really haven't been able to break much below 95.80. So we've been trapped in this range. Um, if I had to, you know, stick a flag in it ahead of the Fed meeting, I'd, I'd want to be long the dollar. Mm. Uh, you know, what they ultimately do and how the market reacts is is, is a difficult game to play. 
but the dollar seems to be uh, holding in there. So I, I just want to kind of go with the flow and not try to disrupt that until proven otherwise. Yeah. Are you surprised by that? Not really. I mean, if we're going to be looking at higher rates here in the U.S., that might, you know, create a, uh, you know, capital flow into the U.S. And again, you know, for me, it's just all about what what's price action doing. If the, if the market's indicating they want to be long the dollar, try not to overthink it much beyond that, because then you kind of get into the world of opinions and, you know, making forecasts on a lot of lot of information that has a lot of different, you know, basically decision points that you can use in there and find yourself kind of stuck in the weeds as opposed to saying, hey, market keep is keeping the dollar bid. Why don't I just stick with that theme until proven otherwise? Yeah. And there are, a, especially when it comes to the U.S. dollar, there are a lot of strong opinions around that, around fiat currencies in general, right, as yep. we know. Um, do, you know, the, the Fed meeting this week, as you said, they've been telegraphing it. You know, pretty by and large expect that they're going to say they're going to start to um, increase the pace of tapering those bond purchases that they put put into effect. I mean, it, it, we, we sort of know that now. It was a big change, and it hit the markets when Powell said that in front of Congress, pretty bluntly dropping transitory. Everybody was surprised by the bluntness and clarity of it. But we've, we've had a little bit of time to settle in. Does it feel like that's priced in or just the uncertainty and unknown, you know, sort of uh, factors around what what reducing tapering looks like um is that is that present challenges well i think it does i mean let's keep in mind i mean even if they reduce tapering it's still an accommodative policy overall i think what was interesting i read a piece last week um by an analyst that i follow this guy's takeaway from from some of powell's comments recently have been that he's basically made it clear that Inflation is now the concern, not necessarily supporting asset prices, supporting full employment and whatnot. And if, in fact, that is what was intended, and again, I'm going a little bit outside of my, you know, my wheelhouse, so to speak, mm -hmm. but based on what I read, if, in fact, that is the, the point, inflation is going to be the number one boogeyman, so to speak, at the Fed, not necessarily asset prices and not necessarily the economy. Mm. And if that's the case, you know, again, that's a very different paradigm for all of us to be in that we haven't lived within for many, many years. It's all always been about accommodating, putting Band-Aids on little financial boo-boos. Now we're kind of confronted with something that is far more problematic. Uh, inflation is far more problematic than a recession. Mm. It really gets out of control. And it was a great article this weekend by Mohammed Al-Aryan, who basically said the Fed is at risk of making the biggest blunder um, in recent memory. And that's those are pretty strong words from someone like that who's kind of seen as, you know, kind of, you know, someone who kind of always follows along the party line, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And we really have seen and and it's interesting because if that is the case and that's the main focus, there's a lot of disagreement on that. Right. Mohammed feels really strongly. They've been late on it. They were wrong to categorize it as transitory. Um, and then there are others who say, I don't. I don't think it's here to stay. It's you know it's driven by supply chain issues. Yes, it may be taking longer to work through, especially as we see these other variants come up. But bigger picture, we're still in a deflationary period. So there's so you know the fact that there's such a divergence of people and experienced market watchers who really don't agree on this. Um, even Raul and Julian have different different feelings about it. For those who are really familiar with the site, so very interesting. And and again, you know, as you point out, can be a 
uh, an issue. I wonder, you know, as we're looking at, um, is there any particular, you know, talking broadly dollar, any particular cross that you're watching or that you think can, um, will be interesting here uh, as we sort of surf through this uncertainty? Well, I think um, obviously if the dollar rallies or even if the dollar sells off, regardless of the, the, the direction it moves on Wednesday, assuming there's a big move in either direction, you know, the cleanest way to play that is obviously with the euro, given that it's basically about 55% of the dollar index. So, I mean, for the present time, you know, I'd be bearish the euro, given that I'm thinking the dollar index will move higher. Mm -hmm. um, if bonds start to get spooked, though, meaning rates start to push back higher, um, I think dollar yen could be a great trade. And that would also be consistent with a stronger dollar, too. But, you know, the yen, dollar yen trades more with rates, although if the dollar index is moving, that can certainly help at the same time. Those would be the two currencies I'd focus on. Once you get too far away from those, you know, you get a little bit less impact by what the dollar index is doing. You know, some of the currencies like the Aussie dollar and the Kiwi dollar, those tend to be more overshadowed by bigger moves in the S&P. So, you know, if the S&P mm -hmm. suddenly are weak, even if the dollar, you know, if the dollar's rallying, that's going to even put more downward pressure on those currencies. Um, but I think the further you get away from non-index components of the dollar index, it becomes a little bit trickier to kind of gauge where they're going to go. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, anytime we're, we're currencies are complicated, anytime we're talking about them, they also have sort of ripple effects through. And I, I always think of commodities immediately because um, especially the dollar is an issue for commodities, just one of the cross currents that you have to watch in that market. You also have uh, certainly other headwinds um, that can come up and influence it. And a lot of a lot of folks have been playing in the commodity market um, yeah. this year. We've seen some big moves in the metals. Tony Greer, longtime commodity trader um, and, and frequent contributor, sat down with Doomberg. I love that name, Doomberg. Uh, just recently, and they talked about some of these challenges in the space. Let's have a listen. Here's the thing about commodities, which makes them fun and makes them frustrating. It makes them exciting. It makes them volatile. Um, these the supply and demand doesn't get just get turned on with a switch. These are actually asset intense, low return on capital projects that require huge engineering and technology prowess to even pull off. If you mix in the slightest of economic uncertainty, capital freezes up. So I would point you to an interesting situation that's developing that maybe some of the viewers aren't following so closely, but what's going on in Peru you know, with the copper mines, left-wing government coming in, sort of seems to be embarking on all of the classic steps of nationalization. Then you have to study whether such a government could survive and will the, pre will the, the leadership be impeached. But commodity investors and companies that specialize in the space, they abhor uh, uncertainty. So if, if you don't know what the 20-year outlook for your billion-dollar investment is going to be, maybe you take your time and to do a bit more study before you, you know, before you move from engineering to construction. Because, you know, you spend a billion dollars, you dig a deep hole, you get the mine operating, and then suddenly the rules change. And the uh, royalty share to the government goes up, or the taxes go up, or your um, license to operate gets pulled, or protesters show up at the gates. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. 
Yeah, so interesting. And by the way, that full interview is available on all tiers. Um, we ha- Dave, we have a great question from Malik. Um, I'm a retail trader and would love to get insight on how you bridge the fundamentals with technicals going into the FMC, FOMC meeting in relation to, say, he, he's looking at gold, but I think it applies to probably everything. Um, could an increase in the pace of tapering validate inflation fears and then have ripple effects in the market, in his case, asking about a rally in gold? But I think you can, again, play that out through whatever asset market you're watching. How do you bridge the fundamentals and technicals? Well, in all honesty, I don't. I try not to bridge them too much because, as I've noted, you know, many times on these interviews mm-hmm. here, I really just try to rely on on technically driven trades. It doesn't mean that I'm not aware of what the fundamentals are. I think to not be would be, you know, probably reckless. But um, I find that when I get too much into the macro, I, I start getting into drawing conclusions that are in my head that may or may not be consistent with what the market's doing. So for me, price action is always kind of the barometer that I want to use. And yeah, sometimes I'm wrong. I mean, suddenly the trend goes from up to down and you know you you get caught long when markets start to roll over. But no, no one approach is ever going to be perfect. So for me personally, I just stick with the price action. I have an acute awareness of the fundamentals, but I try not to let it drive what I'm going to do. But as it relates to what the Fed's going to do, I mean, this is a pretty key meeting, in my opinion. Um, they're either going to come down hard on inflation or they're going to toe the party line and you know keep it dovish. And that, that, that in and of itself could be a, a really uh, nasty outcome, potentially. Regarding gold, I mean, God, it, it's done absolutely nothing. So if, if the market's worried about inflation, it's certainly not being reflected in gold. And some people are also making the argument that inflation would be seen in crypto. Well, we're not seeing that recently either. So we are in a, we're in a really funky phase of the market, I can tell you that. And I've been at this for 20, 25 years plus. And it was one of those times where you're just not seeing the normal relationships that you would expect to see. Yeah. And, and, and we're hearing that from a lot of people as well, Dave. I mean, it's a great point. You know, some of those traditional correlations, I don't know if it's just temporary or they're breaking down, you know, in a different way. Um, we're certainly going to watch that. And we continue to ask people about that. What about the bond market? Um, what are you watching there? Because this is this is where you'd really see it react yeah. to the Fed. And again, you know, some people have been su- surprised at the fact that the yield curve's flattening, right? We've seen a reaction um, in the short end, but we don't really see that following through in the long end. People are kind of wondering what that, what the bond market is messaging, if anything. Well, what are you watching there? Well, I'm watching it closely for sure. I mean, ten-year uh, notes are, are one of the things that I trade very often. But you know, we've just been sideways for the last couple of weeks, and over the last um, a week or two, we've actually seen prices rally a little bit here and then pull back. But mm-hmm. it's really strange. I mean, it, again, if inflation is as you know, hot as the numbers are indicating, it, it doesn't seem to be reflected in the bond market. And I've always looked at the bond market as being kind of where the smartest money is in, not because it's the bond market and that's where there's a lot of smart people. There's a lot of smart people in every aspect of the marketplace. But given that that's where money is priced, uh, presumably that is going to be the most sensitive marketplace because how money is priced impacts everything, valuations, just everything. Right now, the bond market doesn't seem to be too concerned about inflation, but um, you know, obviously that can change. But right now, we're just moving sideways. It's really hard for me to kind of gauge which way they're going to break them. I think you know, on looking purely at yields, which of course is going to drive what 10-year notes do, I'm looking for anything above 1.52. 1. 
6.4 is actually the big level. If we can get above 1.64, I think that would be pretty ugly for notes. Back mm -hmm. below 1.37, that would be really positive for notes. So I think until we get past either of those extreme levels, it's probably going to be a little bit of a ping pong match, which it's been for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And is that the part of the yield curve that you'd be concentrating on? Are you just staying away from the short end or? You know, I look at all aspects of the yield curve, but in terms of expressing the trades, I'm always looking at it from a 10-year notes perspective or 10-year yields. Yeah, which is the, the benchmark. I'm just quoting, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to turn our attention to stocks because, as we, yeah. saw, we sort of saw the nervousness play out there yeah. um, and tech getting hit. Um, there's, I'm sure everyone's been participating in it. A lot of conversation about the fact that time a magazine named Elon Musk, man of the year, right? Put the picture on the cover. Twitter blew up with both sides feeling really strongly about this. But a lot of people asking, is this a contrarian indicator? We did see Tesla stock down five and a half percent today. Um, how does that chart look to you? Well, I mean, you could look at it a couple of different ways. The fact that it can't get any traction as the S&Ps move higher, you know, you could interpret that as, hey, you know, the wheels are coming off, so to speak, no pun intended. However, if you look at the structure of the price action from the highs back in mid-November, it's very choppy and overlapping. And that normally indicates that's a corrective move. It's not indicative of like a, of an established trend, in this case down. But you know, Tesla's a different beast. I mean, you've got a lot of people with very strong opinions playing this. You've got a lot of institutional flow, a lot of passive funds that have to own this. So you may not want to read too much into the price structure lower. For me, you know, the fact that we couldn't hold above 980 today, which has been a level we keep bouncing off of. But what's interesting, we've bounced off at one, two, three, four times in the last two weeks, and each successive high has been lower than the last. So you've got a, a series of declining peaks. I think if we can hold below 980, which we clearly did today, we are closing at about 964. Mm. Now, heading towards 870 would be my projection, but that's from a trading perspective. I don't really have a strong opinion on the company. I don't know. The fundamentals I know are out of whack, but maybe they're not based on future cash flows. And again, stuff that I don't get into. Yeah. And it's a, it's, a, it's a personality stock. It's a cult stock. It's so many things, and that's what makes it so hard to pin down. Yeah, that that is a, that's a really interesting point. I mean, that probably when we could we could say that about others. And in fact, we saw some of the other kind of I'm going to call them Reddit favorites um, because I hate the I hate the phrase meme stocks. But uh, we saw GameStop, we saw AMC, we saw some of those kinds of stocks getting hit. Um, again, you know, from a if we try to take this sort of uh, that that narrative out of it, the fact that there, the, you know, that there is this sort of strong feeling around them, and the kind of, you know, um, do we do, would that be would, would that be expected with stocks that have seen huge runoffs in a risk off kind of environment? And does that and does that spill over to other to other risk areas? You know, do you watch those charts at all? What do you what do you make of that? Well, no, I, th I think it's actually a really good point to bring up, Maggie, because you know. I think it's great. A lot of people made a lot of money in the meme stocks or what, however you want to characterize them. Good for you guys. It's nothing I played. You know, I've been doing this a long time. I've got my process. I, I trade the markets that I trade. But let's be honest. You know, having a stock promoted on a on a on a message board and having a bunch of people pile into it—that's not a sustainable approach to trading. That's that's not a that's not 
not something you can repeat over and over again unless you somehow magically know what next stock everybody's going to gang up on. So when these things do start to move lower, there's usually a whole bunch of people that get into the party really late, yeah. and that ends up kind of fueling the downside momentum. Those that got in early, good for you. You guys rid a trend, or rode a trend and, and made some money. But ultimately, in the end, that's not a, you know, a repeatable process for the most part. And um, that could that have a spillover effect? Absolutely. If you've got a lot of people leveraged in these stocks at much higher prices, I mean, look at ARC, for instance. Most of oh. the money that went into ARC is in the high 120s, I think, or maybe up in the 140s in terms of money flow. ARC closed today at 94 bucks. Yeah, that has been... I mean, that chart must be so ugly. That's been that's been rough. Ugly and predictable in terms of if you look at the levels where a lot of prices price action had taken place earlier, you know, there's no mystery as to when those levels give way as to why momentum either accelerates to the downside, as it is in this case, or in other instances, it accelerates higher if you're looking at other stocks. So no mystery here. And then, you know, to compound that, you have so many people saying, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm in it for the long haul. Well, that's great. But, you know, that that type of, you know, confidence and whatnot really starts to go away the further and further you get away from your entry price. And like I said, since the majority of the new money is entering into that particular ETF, I believe we're in the 140 area. You know, those are some pretty big losses coming into the year end. And it wouldn't surprise me if we saw ARC move a little bit lower as we, you know, close out 2021. You, you you brought up a really good point that I wanted to ask about, and how how much do, do seasonal factors matter here? You know, like coming into year end, explain for people maybe newer to the market what that means, right? Because because you know it, it, there is something to that. I mean, I don't I don't you know even people when they say that it doesn't, there, we we do start to see some patterns at year end when people think about you know their performance for the year and such. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, the fact of the matter is. What are tax rates going to be next year? That might induce people to sell and lock in gains this year. Uh, you might have people that are sitting on losses and they're 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 looking at it strategically, going, "Well, I've also got some big gains in these other stocks. I'll 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 unload this loser and you know use that to offset my capital gains." So there's a lot of tax strategy, mm -hmm. um, but but again, just like anything that's kind of fundamental or macro, you know, trying to piece it all together and know exactly how everybody's going to act, that's nearly impossible. But I think it's a safe um, conclusion to draw that some names, if they're weak heading into the end of the year, could get weaker because people may look to lock in those losses, start fresh the next year. But can you dev devise a, a strategy over that? It's kind of hard, but I think you can use it as one of the checkpoints and what you're going to do with your, your overall trading strategy. Yeah, and that's what and that's what a lot of this is, right? You want to sort of layer over the different sort of, um, you know, s see if the different data points line up when you're trying to come up with a strategy, as opposed to just one, and see if see if you're comfortable with that. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. We have a question. Um, we have a Fab Five in the stock market. How comfortable are you with a few names carrying the indexes? Well, I mean, 
from a logical perspective, it makes very little sense. But if you look at the way the market structure is nowadays with, you know, basically a lot, a lot of money coming in all the time for index funds, then it kind of does make sense. And that can go on for a very long time until it doesn't. I mean, does it make sense that only five names are basically driving the indexes higher? Well, it does make sense if you understand the market structure. And I mentioned this the last time I was on with you. Mike Green and Raul had a, an amazing discussion. I think back in, it was either December of 2018 or December of 2019. I think it was December of 2019. They had a great sit down. And Mike Green went into the whole market structure of indexation and why we're seeing what we're seeing, but also some of the things to look out for. So, yeah, it doesn't make sense to have the market propped up on five names because eventually when people need to liquidate or if they want to, that's going to be a liquidity problem. Yeah. So, and and for those people who didn't see it, you're talking about all the passive buying that gets done. But if the market yes. turns, there are no natural buyers left anymore because of the nature of the electronic trading, right? Exactly. In fact, that was the the big my big takeaway from that interview was that you know years ago you always had you know the value investors. There was always somebody on the bid because they saw value in a in a particular stock at a particular price. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those players are no longer there. So guess what? There's a lot of there's no longer a lot of bids at lower prices because those value investors have largely you know gone by the wayside, or at least they've been reduced dramatically in number. So if again, this is a big if, if we were to get some sort of a you know concentrated selling in a lot of these large names, there's not going to be a lot of value players on the way down. So I think liquidity becomes an issue. Suddenly. Not only you get, you're not getting an orderly sell-off, you're getting a gappy, very flash crashy type sell-off. And again, yeah. I'm predicting that's going to happen. I'm just saying, understand the market structure, understand what's happening, so that when it does happen, it's not like some big mystery. Yeah, yeah, and that means something different too. You know, as opposed to like actually people making decisions about continuing to sell. There's just no buyers. I mean, it, it ends up being the same. In but you know, in terms of the background thinking on it, and and. Layer on that, Dave, the speed in which this happens now, because a lot of it is algorithms that do it. You know, at least in the beginning, you get you get like really intense the possibility for really intense moves. Absolutely, absolutely. But you know, when all is said and done, ultimately the market finds a, a level that it wants to be at. Mm-hmm. If you've done your chart work and you've looked at things, oftentimes those levels appear or they're knowable. It takes you know a little bit of courage and conviction, and maybe closing one eye and holding your nose. Um, but you know, ultimately, you know, panic always subsides and cooler heads prevail. But in the moment, I get it; it, it, it ain't easy. But you know, yeah. we haven't seen that in a while. But eventually, we're going to have another sell-off, no doubt about it. Yeah, we have we have a question. A lot of people have been um, it's been a little unnerving watching some of the volatility in um, some of the cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin yeah. down again. Um, we have a question: Is S- is the S and P next? And if so, what level do you see? So, what are you looking at when it comes to the S and P in terms of you know uh, where there might be support and also what's looking like uh, you know are we looking toppy? I don't know if we're looking toppy. I mean, we were just nibbling at the highs earlier this morning. So. I know that's that's right. We have to remind people, like, oh, down day in the market. We're we're just off those record highs. So yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's easy. I'm just pulling out my chart here, so I can kind of yeah. give you the levels that I'd be queuing in on. And again, you know, bear in mind, I am I always approach the market from either an intraday perspective or a swing trading perspective. So I'm not looking two three weeks out. That's not the way I trade. So 
you that's, know, very, that's important distinction. Yeah, a lot of you know, viewers need to keep that in context. However, the levels that I'll note, they're applicable to any time frame. So whether you're a portfolio investor or a portfolio manager or you know, medium-term investor, the levels that I look at, they tend to be relevant regardless of the time frame. But you bring up a good point. We're just off the highs, barely. Um, but it feels like it because we don't usually see a lot of selling nowadays. Um, again, from my perspective, it's pretty clear. 4609 is the level that I think if we break that, we could see some further selling. Um, but we're a ways away from that. But that can obviously happen pretty quickly. The big level below that, 4471. Now, I think those levels definitely could come into play this week because of the Fed meeting. Mm -hmm. And if they do, those are the situations that if the market spikes down quickly, I would be surprised if you didn't see some reaction from those levels. It doesn't mean that the market's going to reverse per se, but watch how prices react to those levels. Use those as your inflection point as to whether you want to get long, get short, close out your positions, whatever the case may be. Take the levels and factor them into the way you trade. Use them as a decision point. Awesome advice. We have a question coming in. I'm not actually going to pose it to you, um, Dave, because it's not your wheelhouse, but I want to acknowledge it um, from uh, Sign DNA asking about how the U.S. can adequately regulate crypto assets. I'm talking about some hearings last week. Are they advised? You know, um, will they be able to work it out? Uh, I would recommend that you go ahead to um, the interview I did with Paul Atkins, uh, the person asking that question, uh, former SEC commissioner. I, I sat down with him in Las Vegas at the takeover event um, to talk a little bit about this and some of the developments that are on the horizon for this year. So head over and check out that video, and hopefully that can answer your question or at least you know lead you down the right path. Um, back to your specialty, Dave. Is there anything that you that you're long? Like, what do you like right now as we head into this kind of you know, crazy week with all these central bank meetings um, and also into into year end, even though it's a, a little further than your horizon. Is there anything that you're bullish on? Well, you know, right now I'm kind of flat. And again, you know, again, my time frame, you know, dictates I'm either in the market a lot at it points or I'm, I'm not in. Right now I've got a very low footprint. I'm short the mm -hmm. euro. Um, you know, I'm looking to get short the S&Ps if they break, but I'm also looking to, to go long them if they break as well. So, um, I'm a very non-opinionated or non. I uh, don't have a lot of conviction at this point, but I think that I think that clarity will come uh, on Wednesday based on what's happening uh, or what happens after the Fed meeting. So you would think that the market would continue to rally into year end. It's been an God, it's been an impressive year, um, but I think this Fed meeting really holds the key. If they really come and press us on or press it on inflation, that's a game changer. Now, how the market reacts. I don't know. You would think the S&Ps would sell off and uh, bond market would sell off. But again, markets, the key thing with markets is that even if you guess what the Fed may do and or say, it's always a crapshoot as to what the market does. Sometimes yeah. it does the exact opposite of what you think it's going to do. And you're sitting there going, what the heck just ran me over? Yeah. So, uh, so I have to be nimble, okay. right? Yeah, sometimes it's okay to wait a little bit. And, um, you know, sometimes you'll miss out on a trade. And you know what? That's okay. Uh, you can't trade everything. What you want to trade is setups that make sense. Let the mark, let the trade come to you. See how prices react at certain levels and then follow accordingly. 
That's fantastic advice because I we talked about this again. I, I was um, sitting down with Denise Scholl at the takeover about how to how to manage volatility, um, mm-hmm. and she she said the same thing. You know, you have to you have to sort of just just rushing into action. We're culturally geared toward action all the time, and sometimes that's not the right thing to do, especially if you're unclear. Sometimes waiting, as you say, waiting for the trade to come to you might be a wiser thing to do. Dave, always some sage advice from you. We appreciate it so much, especially in these uncertain times. So thank you so much. Hey, my pleasure, Maggie. Have a great afternoon. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for watching. We'll be back tomorrow with Tommy Thornton, who you know We'll have a comment about Tesla, but a whole lot of other stuff as we sort of chew over some of these same questions in this week. So we'll see you then. In the meantime, the conversation always continues on the exchange. Take care and good luck out there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.